0: Hello, people of the way. We're going to continue our study through the Old Testament. So, if you have your Bible, open up to Leviticus chapter 25. Almost done with the book of Leviticus. And praise be to the Lord. I say almost done, but these chapters are kind of long. So, (laughs) you heard me say, you know, several weeks we'll be done with Leviticus. So, it might be like a month, maybe. Lord willing, we'll see what happens. Uh, Here in chapter 25, I have to preface... All the time, all the time, that we are not a people of the law. You must understand we are a people of a different law, a better law. That is the law of faith as we studied in Romans chapter 3 on Sunday. You must always remember that. Never, ever, ever forget that. Because what happens, there are deceived people who attempt to be justified by the law. And there is no justification in the law. Justification comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. If righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Jesus Christ died in vain if righteousness could come through the law. It pains me to say that, but I I, 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 I defer to Brother Paul because he's the one who wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said it to the church in Galatia who wanted to return to the law. Never, ever, ever go back to the law. No matter how, you know, I, I, you might have tremendous desire and passion in your heart to please the Lord and have a life that is pleasing to the Lord, a sweet aroma unto Him, and that's beautiful. But it cannot be done through the law. It can only be done in the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ, you abiding in Him, Him abiding in you. That's for all of us who believe. It's very, very, very important to understand that. For all of your days, not just today, for all of your days. Because Satan and his hucksters, they'll attempt, attempt to persuade you to go back to the law. To persuade you to... Please the Lord by fulfilling the law. Don't do that. Don't fall for those tricks. A lot of times, we're going to study this It's uh, this year of Jubilee. We're going to study Jubilee in chapter 25, Leviticus. And it's very, very beautiful. And you're going to see forgiveness. You're going to see redemption, which is beautiful. But even still, this is the law. A lot of people today they like to de- they like to point to the year of jubilee, which is like forgiveness, debts, everything. They like to point to this concept. I shouldn't say concept, but this statute of jubilee, which is a concept. They like to point to this statute of jubilee, and you see, they say, "See, we should do that," you know. Debt forgiveness, you know, forgive all my debts, forgive all my debts. I kind of see that as backwards of James 2.10. In James 2.10, Brother James writes, he says, If you keep all the law and fail at one, you're guilty of all the law. And this, that's why it's, it's kind of like the opposite of that. Because people want to fail at all the law, but keep this one only. Oh, the year of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. See, it's good. It's biblical. We should do it like this. But wait a second. You can't cherry pick the law. If you attempt to apply the law, then you can't do one. You got to do all. And you know what happens? The law is death. You want something that condemns yourself. Why? Because it's pleasing to you. You can see your debt ratio go from, you know, uh, 500,000 to zero. Oh, I'm in debt. I'm in debt. How much debt? Uh, 250,000, but the year of Jubilee, it's right around the corner. I wanted to get back down to zero. You see, you have to be very careful with your carnal passions, your carnal desires. I understand that. Everybody wants a zero balance. Everybody, except the tax savvy, (laughs) trust attorneys, you know, Uh, everybody wants a zero balance. Everybody. I completely understand it. And I'm in agreement to a certain degree, depending on what socioeconomic camp you're in. I agree. I understand the logic. There are, you know, variables to that. But for the most part, for the large portion of society, I agree. I understand. You can't say, you know, oh, it's biblical. Let's apply this Jubilee to my debt. You know, I have all this college debt. I have a consumer debt. I'm, I'm on a fifth credit card. I'm maxed out. No, it doesn't work that way. This is the law. There are aspects of the law which are beautiful. And you read it and you're like, wow, this is so cool. But you have to understand the entirety of the law, which points to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. It's very, very, very important to understand these things. You know why? Because a lot of hucksters, and I'll say hucksters, tools of Satan. And sometimes they're of the cloth, so to speak. They look righteous. They appear righteous. They speak, you know, they speak Christianese. And then they'll sway people. You see this law of Jubilee, how beautiful it is. That's what God wants to do with you. And you know that if you apply these concepts in your life, you can have zero debt. Hucksters. And because people aren't on solid foundation, which is the truth of God's holy word and the word became flesh. They fall for it. That's why you hear me say Satan's a fisherman too. You hear me give that analogy of like, you know, say, for example, if I say, hey, we're going to have a church gathering, you know, let's all meet in Florida. Let's all meet in Boca. Let's all meet in Boca. We're going to go fishing off the coast. I've, you know, chartered a big boat. We're going to have a gay old time. And I'm meaning, you know, gay old time, like, you know, old school English, not modern English. <laughs> we're going to have a gay old time. We're going to have fun, all these things. And you bring all your little kids. You bring, you know, come one, come all. And we're going to have so much fun. And then, you know, oh, baby girl, here's a fishing pole. Baby girl grabs a fishing pole. She's two years old. And then all of a sudden, you see her pole go down, you know, kind of bob down. And like, oh, cool. You know, she got something. Who among us would not help baby girl? Why? Because she's not, She does. she's too young. She doesn't have you know, her legs aren't strong. Her back isn't strong. Her arms aren't strong enough to catch a tuna. Maybe a little minnow, a little trout. and baby salmon. But not a big, huge tuna. More swordfish. Big, humongous swordfish. You know what's going to happen? Baby girl's going to catch the swordfish, a tuna, and then all of a sudden fly right off the boat. Never see baby girl again. Gone. You know why? Because that swordfish, that tuna, instead of her catching him or catching it, it caught her. That's why you need to grow. We all, you need to grow in Christ. And you consider all the fish of the sea. You know, there's little tiny ones that are easy to catch, and there's the big whales. If you're going to go whale fishing, You got to be strong in the Lord. And I don't mean strong in the Lord. I'm not talking about, you know, physically strong. I'm talking about firmly grounded, you know, in the Lord and understanding His Word. And then you go fishing for whales. Baby girl can't catch a whale. You know, uh, biblically speaking, the only way baby girl can catch a whale is if she's firmly planted in the Word. That's why you see, like, you know, big, buff adults, big, huge, strong adults. But because they haven't matured in Christ, they're little babies. They're weaker than baby girl. Baby girl stronger than them in the faith. Age has nothing to do with it. But maturity in Christ, that's what it's all about. But you have these hucksters who will, you know, they talk, they they. They always hit on the big ticket items, like such as finances. Oh, you want your debt to be low? Do you want to be in zero debt? Everybody's in debt because, you know, everybody spends unwisely. Everybody's in debt. And so what happens is they say, oh, yeah, I, I like that. And then, they're like, oh, let's look at this biblical concept. Let's look at what the law has to say. And people are like enthused, like, oh, this is so cool. Wow, zero debt. Whoa, this is so beautiful. But they highlight the law. These hucksters. And then they say, okay, yes, this year of Jubilee, you like that. Yes, Pastor, I like that. It's not a pastor in my book, it's a wolf. A wolf. I like this year of Jubilee. Then they say, oh, okay, wow, you like that? Oh, cool, praise the Lord. Let's look at these feasts and festivals. Oh wow, yeah, I like this Jubilee concept. Wow, I'm gonna apply this in my life. And now, okay, look, let's look at this. Oh, the festival, the festival of trumpets, the day of atonement. Wow, all these things. Okay, I'm gonna start partaking of these things. And you know what? I think I'm gonna stop going to this church over here and I'm gonna go to this synagogue. You see, Satan's a fisherman. You have to be firmly grounded in the word of God in accordance with the new covenant, the better covenant, not the covenant of the law that brings death. So we're going to look at these beautiful passages about the year of Jubilee, but understand that we're new covenant believers. Now, if you're not, if you're listening to my words and you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about fishing? I thought I was listening to a sermon. He's talking about fishing. Well, hit the pause button. Scroll through the messages and you're going to come to a message that says how to receive Jesus Christ or how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. I forgot the title, but it's about being a Christian. Now, if you're not a believer, hit pause and then listen to that and say the sinner's prayer. You have no idea how desperate I am, how much I am so desiring of your soul to be saved. But the Lord knows. And let me tell you something about God, your Father in heaven. He's long-suffering, not willing that you should perish. So hit pause, listen to that, and then come back and listen. And if that happens to be you, and you know you hit pause, and you said the sinner's prayer, and you come back and you're listening, I rejoice with you. You Praise be to the Lord. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. And so, you know, it's very important to understand that we are a people of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, not the old covenant, the law in which you find death. So let's look at chapter 25, Leviticus, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Very interesting, this place of intimacy that Moses has. That's what's so cool about, you know, in your home. You know, you might have a prayer closet or like a spot on your couch or maybe like a special area of your house or maybe, you know, maybe you have an apartment, you have like a special prayer closet or a special sitting area or, you know, it might be at work, you know, maybe, I don't know. But just this special area where you just have intimacy with the Lord. Maybe you have no distractions, a den in your home, and I don't know. No TV, no radio. You know, everybody has their phone with them nowadays, but I mean, you know, mute it. You know, go on, do not disturb. And it's just a time where you have intimacy with the Lord. You open up His Word, no distractions, and you read. You read, you keep reading, and then you pause. You know, the Lord convicts you. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You put your finger down where you left off, right? where Whenever you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, put your finger down right where you leave it, right where you see it. Close your eyes and repent. Close your eyes and say, Lord, forgive me. I had no idea. I thought this was okay, but I had no idea. Lord, forgive me. And, you know, not just forgive me, Lord, but help me. Because I know my friends are going to call me about crack again. My friends are going to call me about, you know, I'm not doing crack anymore. You know, marijuana is legal in my state. So I'm just going to do marijuana. And I had no idea you had any issue with that. I had no idea I was grieving your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I, I repent of that. I repent of that. Lord, help me. So when my friends call me, see, so you know, I'm going to tell them no. Help me help me to tell them no. Help me stand for you and acknowledge you before men. As your word teaches, you know, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. Lord, I want that for me. And help me next time. Instead of them offering me crack, instead of them offering me pot, instead of them act, uh, offering me whatever, let me offer them you, Lord. Let me partake of this beautiful ministry that I read about. Being a planter or a waterer, Lord, let me invite them to you. And then you're done praying, you open up your eyes and your fingers right where you left off and you keep reading. Having applied the word of God in your life. Not just in a prayer. I'm talking about applying it in your life. Applying the word of God in your life or it's like, oh, you know, you read the Bible and you say, okay, I'm sorry, Lord. And you keep writing. Oh, you keep reading. Okay. I'm sorry, Lord. And then you keep reading. Okay. I'm sorry, Lord. Your friends call you. Hey, let's go do this. And you're like, okay, I'm down. Let's go. It's like, wait a second. What did you just read? No, the Bible, that's not good. The Bible said that's like, that's like looking in the mirror. You know, before you go outside, you look, you look how you look like, you know, you scratch your eyes, scratch your, you know, get the, the eye boogers out of your eyes. You know, make sure you don't have any uh, parsley, little basil leaves sticking in your teeth. You know, make sure your hair, you don't know, look like a schlep. And then all of a sudden you go out the door and it's like, okay. And you're like, wait a second, what do I look like? I got to check my teeth again. I got to check my eyes again. I got to make sure my hair looks good. You forgot what you look like. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes you read the Bible and then all of a sudden you walk out and you forget exactly what you, said, what you read. It's not good. You need to apply the word of God in your life and my life too. I gotta. We're in the same boat. I got to do it too. I'm not just saying you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And then I'm doing all kinds of crazy stuff. No way. If that's the case, I can't be a pastor. Biblically speaking. No, I need to apply the word of God in my life. You need to apply the word of God in your life. And we become one body with many parts the koinonia, the ecclesia, the church, the bride of Christ, the bride to be of Christ. You say, wait a second, I thought we were the bride of Christ. Well, that's very forward looking, which is a good thing. But the marriage hasn't happened yet. Understand that. We're virgins. I pray we're virgins. It was, oh, yeah, I'm the bride of Christ. Uh, I'm doing all this crack, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine-yard sex, drugs, rock and roll. Well, uh, uh, brides-to-be don't behave that way. Betrothed do not behave that way. It's to say, hey, cut it out. Go and sin no more. Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the helper who will help you in those areas whatever it might be, to grow and mature in Christ. Praise be to the Lord. It's so beautiful. You know, reading the Old Testament, reading the law as New Covenant believers, it just blesses my socks off so much. So, so, so much. It blesses my heart. Because what great lengths the Lord went through to send His only begotten Son for us. And not just what such great lengths as prophesied in the Word of God. I mean, there's that, but for you, for me, for us, for the lost. He's long-suffering. Remember, He sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And this very beautiful moment of intimacy that Moses has with the Lord on Mount Sinai, And, you know, what is your Mount Sinai? And I'm not talking about the law. I'm talking about your place of intimacy with the Lord. It could be anywhere. But for me personally, there are not locales, but just like, you know, certain conditions that I like. I don't like distractions. You know, no TV. You know, no computer, no phone. I have my phone with me all the time, but, you know, muted or do not disturb. You know, it's like so beautiful just to have these moments of intimacy in god's word you read his word it's like a phone conversation you read his word and then you like the lord just blows you away and then all of a sudden you just put your finger down where you left off you close your eyes and you just start talking lord wow lord you might have to repent too whatever it is and you could just rejoice too wow lord this is so cool Look at what you did with this guy. Look at what you did this this girl. Look what you did with this boy. There was this lady, this old lady. Lord, can you do that with me too? Can it be, Lord, that you can do that with me too? It's, uh, you know, I don't know, Lord. I hope that's the case. And I pray that's the case. And you just have a conversation with him. And then you open up your eyes and you keep reading. It's like a phone conversation. You can't see Him. We're in our glorified bodies, we'll see Him one day. But Jesus Christ says, you know, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's you and me today. But we can have phone conversations with Him. Have you ever had a phone conversation with somebody you long to be with? And I don't mean long to be with like a good friend. I mean long to be with like It's indescribable love. That's what we have with our Lord. That's what you can have. Like, oh, come on, what are you talking about, ma? Nah. I need the sacraments. I need to see. You know, I I, I need to see uh, 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 the stuff. When you read the Bible, you see sacraments. What is sacraments? It's you know, are it's holy. It's not carnal. It's you know, not with human eyes. Oh, but I like this. I I know it's religion, but I need that. It helps me in my walk. I'm not going to hammer you, you know. If that's you, if you're listening and that's you, I'm not going to hammer you hardcore. But I will hammer you a little bit. We walk by faith and not by sight, my friend. We don't walk by sight. Many people walk by sight. To their own folly. You read the Bible... Look at all the people who walk by faith. The great cloud of witnesses. Look at Abraham. Whoa. Imagine Abraham, like nobody near him, all by himself in the desert. And then all of a sudden, a voice, Abraham, he's an old man. He has an old wife, no kids, she's barren. They're old couple. And he's just laying there in the desert. Have you ever seen like a desert sky? It's like beautiful. No city lights, no nothing. You just see all the stars of the sky. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, the nighttime canvas of our Lord. And then all of a sudden the Lord speaks to Abraham. Abraham, this is going to be your descendants. Your descendants are going to be more than these stars. What? What? Lord, my wife is barren. I'm old. She's old. But he believed in the Lord, the word of the Lord. He believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. That's what I'm talking about, intimacy with the Lord. I'm not talking about, you know, like... Oh, five o'clock, I gotta pray, you know, and three minutes, okay, I'm done. you know, thirty seconds, I'm done, and I gotta go out and schedule schedule schedule, gotta do all this. We all have twenty four hours in a day. A lot of people say I gotta sleep eight hours. I'm not a doctor, all the doctors, all the scientists, whatever the professionals, so to speak, they say, eight hours a day that's way too much in my book, in my opinion, that's way too much. Three hours is good. Uh, three and a half, four hours. that's good. On the weekends, four and a half, five hours. That's good. Nah, I man, whatever floats your boat, you know. But, I mean, we all have 24 hours in a day. Intimacy with the Lord. You must have that. I say you must have that, but that's a choice. But I urge you, in accordance with the faith, I say you must. Intimacy with the Lord. You have kids, that you know, run around all over the place. Tell the kids, hey, listen to me. If you run around all over the place, I need quiet time. You're going to have your quiet time, too. Teach them, you know. Teach them. Let's pray to the Lord. Pray with your little ones. Let's pray together. You say a prayer. Baby girl, you say a prayer. And let's all agree. Okay. praying, Pouring into the next generation. Teaching them the way. It's so beautiful, you know, to have intimacy with the Lord and then to share intimacy. So that other people can be like, Wow. It's like lighting fires. You know, you have a torch, I have a torch, all these people have torches. It's like, okay, let's light these. Goshen. When there's darkness, there's light with God's people. It's going to be a long <laughs> Verse 2. <laughs> spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. You know how beautiful this is. Verse two, when you come into the land, which I give to you, which I give you, do you remember? And I make mention of this. I'm not going to get tired of mentioning this either, but do you remember in Exodus, 33. I've said it so much, it's almost my memory here. Exodus thirty-three in verse three, the Lord says to to the people, He says, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you. Translate says, Lest I destroy you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. And in verse 5 of that same chapter, says, For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff necked people or a stubborn people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you or destroy you. You see? Whoa, that's hardcore. And then Moses intercedes, and then all of a sudden the Lord says, Okay, I'll go with you, except I'm going to give you the new command, the Ten Commandments. Remember, the Ten Commandments were given three times. The first time, verbally, you know, orally. And then the second time, the two tablets are the two tablets which Moses destroyed at the the golden calf. And then the second set of the two tablets, the Lord gave to Moses. And then these are the ones that are in the ark. And so when the Lord gave the, the, the last batch of the Ten Commandments, you know what it's intermingled with? Blood. Sacrifice. Blood. Life for life. Life is in the blood, remember? Life is in the blood. Remember, in accordance with the law, the wages of sin is death. So to atone for sin, it's life for life. Since the wages of sin is death, what life is going to atone for that death? The Lord gives, uh, uh, prescribes which animals atone for death. That's why Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God. Capital L, Lamb. Lamb of God. The sacrifice of our Lord. Because He loves you. His only begotten Son. Whom He loves. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Whoa. Imagine saying that of your Son. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Who are you going to sacrifice Him for? Nobody. You love him. He's your son. Look at our Father in heaven, how much he loves you. His son was sinless. No sin. No blemishes. And he took on sin, the propitiation for our sins. The Lord took my sin, your sin, and placed it on his son. And his son paid the price. Death. So now we, here we are. Going through our regular life. Our day to day life in Christ. And just like the Lord says to the people. I'm not going to go with you. You guys are stubborn. I'm not going to be with you. You guys are stubborn. And then all of a sudden the Lord says. Okay I'll go with you. Except now there's sacrifice. The intercession of Moses. Look at what about the intercession of Jesus Christ, Moses as a type of Christ, Christ in him. You say, what do you mean Christ in him? Don't forget Moses wrote about Jesus. Moses wrote about me, thus saith the Lord. It's very important to understand these deep, deep, deep concepts. Why? Not just to have this knowledge of, you know, the depth of knowledge but to have depth of relationship with Jesus Christ how much God loves you he knows what I mean you look at the darkness of this world which is getting more palpable it's getting darker and darker and darker he knows except he's making a difference he's making a difference the question is are you going to let him am I gonna let him Praise be to the Lord. And so here in verse 2, <laughs> Leviticus 25, verse 2, the Lord is saying, you know, say to, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give you. I mean, that alone requires an element of faith.
1: Wow, here we
0: are. Moses at Mount Sinai. He's praying. We have our tabernacle here. Here. What, what is the Lord saying to Moses? I don't know, but Moses is going to come down from the mountain. He's going to tell us just like he's always done. He's going to tell us. Imagine if we're in the camp, you know. And Moses comes down and he says, Okay, the Lord's going to take us into a land that he's going to give us. Whoa. Okay, let's go. You see, it's how the Lord is building blocks of faith in the law. You're going to see in the law these little lessons of trusting in Him more, in uh, uh, having faith in Him. The Lord says, when you enter the land, you know what? Faith is required for that. To hear the word of the Lord spoken through Moses, it requires faith to say, okay, the Lord is going to take us into this land that He's going to give us. And this is in Leviticus, a major, major book of the law. And a lesson of faith? Yes, a lesson of faith. Remember, Moses wrote about Jesus. It all points to Jesus, faith in Christ. Which correlates with our you know Sunday message. About the law of faith. The better law. He says it in verse 2: then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. What an interesting concept, the land keeping a a sabbath he says this in verse three six years six years you shall sow your field and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit but in the seventh year there shall be a sabbath of solemn rest for the land a sabbath to the lord what you read that like what a what a concept I mean, what a concept, the Sabbath alone. Say, for example, we're, we're, we're uh, Jews. We're in a time machine. We go back in time. We're in the camp of Israel. We've, we're just freed from Egypt where we've been under slavery. We were born into slavery. We're freshly out of Egypt. And then the Lord commands in the law a Sabbath day. Moses, what is the Sabbath? What is, I don't get it. And then Moses says, Thus saith the Lord. It's the Sabbath. Do no work. You know how strange that would be for you and me? No work. I spent, you know, I'm 80 years old. I've been a slave my whole life. I was born into slavery. I thought I was going to die into slavery. And you're telling me, Moses, there's a day of no work? Yep. Thus saith the Lord. A day of no rest. A a A day of rest. A day of no work. What a radical concept that is. This Sabbath. For you, for me, in accordance to the law. That's, this is, I'm saying if we had a time machine, we go back and we're Jews. Or say, you know, if, if you're Jew and you're listening, you know, it's like, okay, then we're in the camp. But if you're non Jew and you're listening, then we're uh, strangers that, uh, 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 that are, have fear of the Lord and we join the camp of Israel. Or you could say we're Jews. But you know how radical this concept of the Sabbath is? This statute of the Sabbath? It's radical. Day of rest. I've been a slave my whole life. A day of rest. Moses, are you sure? It's. I've never had a day of rest my whole life. I don't even know what that looks like. And then now, okay, so so say we have this understanding of this concept of Sabbath. It's like whoa, you know. I never, you know, all the. Talking goes throughout the camp. A day of rest. Wow, how cool. Wow, you know, the Lord loves us. He wants to give us a day of rest. And then Moses goes up on Sinai again. He comes back. Moses, what did the Lord say? Thus saith the Lord, you know, a rest Sabbath for the land. What? What? As if Sabbath for me, for us, my family, for all these people, my our camp, our our tribe, as if that was enough. The Sabbath. Now there's a Sabbath to the land. Yes, there's a Sabbath to the land. He says in verse three: Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you, six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year. There there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field, nor prune your vineyard. Whoa. What? It's such a radical concept. Remember, it's the seventh year. For people, it's the seventh day, you know, the, the Sabbath day. But then, you know, here for the land, it's the seventh year. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Whoa. Just a little side note. Sometimes I have to read slowly because in my mind I read really fast. And so like this was a little tongue twister for me. Just a little explain if you're like wondering like, whoa, what's wrong with this guy? Like in verse three says like in my mind, I just want to read. It says six years you shall sow your field. So I have to enunciate. I have to read it like that. But in my mind, it's just like like super fast. So sometimes when I read, I want to go, six years you shall show you. So it sound, from your perspective, it just sounds like you know six years you shall. You might hear some other vowels, but I just want to explain to you because sometimes you might hear me say a verse and then go back. It's because I have to enunciate to make sure we capture all these words. Six years you shall sow your field, and you know that's just you might say like you know oh I get it I understand but. From my perspective, let me tell you a little bit about my perspective. I know as surely as the Lord lives, I don't know if it's possible to say even more than as surely as the Lord lives. I don't know if that's possible, but I want to say that. I don't know if there's a word for that, but I want to say that. Even more than as surely as the Lord lives, I know that I'm going to stand before the Lord one day. And I don't want to stand before Him Having not spoken the truth of His Word. Having skipped over things. Like, you know, sometimes you see, like, if you listen to certain Bible teachers, like, there's certain passages where you see all these begets, like in, you know, Matthew 1. You know, this begets this, begets this, begets this, begets this. And it's like, sometimes people will will skip over it. You know, you'll hear Bible teachers, you know, they call themselves Bible teachers. But, you know, they say, oh, yeah, we're just going to skip this because it's, it's it's just a bunch of begets. I don't ever, I mean, to me, that's, I won't do that, you know, so we're just, we're going to go through the word, and sometimes, you know, I don't want to, like, you know, uh, gloss over a verse, because, uh, standing before the Lord, I don't want to go, I know that I'm going to give an account for everything that I say, every jot, every tittle that I speak of, I'm going to give an account for it. So that's why you hear me, in some cases, over enunciate. Just like that, you know, like in verse three, that was a that was a major tongue twister for me because my mind is like I can read it in like super fast in my mind. I can just look at it. and Boom, I got it. But from brain to tongue, I can't do that very fast. So it's like six years you shall sow your field and six years. So sometimes when you hear me enunciate, you know, just so you have an understanding of that's why. But the greater reason of that's why it's because I'm going to stand before the Lord. That's it. If you're a Bible teacher, get into this habit because you're going to stand before the Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's terrifying, but you know what? Join the club. You know, it's terrifying. But that's where there's safety. There's safety in God's holy word. Safety for you and safety for the listeners. That's why Paul says to you read the pastoral letters, letters uh, Titus and Timothy. You know, in, for, in so doing, you save yourself and you save your, uh, those who hear you. So, I mean, it's, you know, safety for you, but, you know, for the sake of others. So that they can, you know, you're like lighting their torches. And they're the light. You're going to die one day. You know, nobody knows when that's going to happen, but you're going to die one day. You know, whose torch did you light so that they can, you know, go and light their torches? Go and light other torches. Not your light. It's the light of our Lord. I mean, look at Abraham, look at the torch that he lit, Isaac, Jacob, all through the, the, the lineage. Look at all these torches that were lit. And this is just what we see, what we know. What about, you know, the, the people, what a great wedding feast that's going to be. You hear me talk like, you know, I'm going to be like a little butterfly asking people this. But there's, uh, I'm going to meet these new people. Whoa, look at this guy, you know, look at what he did for the Lord. Look at what she did for the Lord. Who's this little kid? Hey, you know, baby girl, what, what did you do? You know, that? like, oh yeah, you know what? I had my head chopped off for the Lord. Wow, praise be to the Lord, you know? Look at all these kindergartners that she brought to the Lord. Look at all these third graders that he brought to the Lord. It's going to be such so I can get lost forever. If you ever get lost in your mind in the Word of God, make sure you do it in alignment with the Word of God. Don't go off into crazy town. A lot of people get into crazy town and then they say, thus saith the Lord. No, thus saith the, you know, Satan who presents himself as an angel of light. Don't be that way. But, you know, that's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. Praying unto Him, reading His Word, and He speaks back to you. He teaches you. He comforts you. He heals you. He stretches you. He grows you. It's like, whoa. You know, there's times I'll save it for another day. But so look what happens here. This concept of the Sabbath and how radical it is for us. I mean, if we were in the time machine, how radical it is for us. But then at the same time for the land. Whoa. He says this in verse 5. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. You know, you you see over-farming, I mean, you see it in certain communities, certain lands, certain parts of the world. You see over-farming, you see how uh, lands with no nutrients. I mean, you look at what happened when the colonists colonization happened in certain areas of Africa. You know, they go in, grow all these, and they just, like, just ravish the land, you know, agriculturally speaking. Ravish the land. I mean, you know, in other ways, too. History is always ugly. And then you look at the earth. It's just so, like, dead, you know, in certain desert communities. Because it wasn't properly managed. But then you see lands that are properly managed. Lands that have been recultivated to be healthy again. To be full of nutrients again. There's a process that happens. I mean, even today, you go to Israel. If you were to stand on a mountain and you look at Israel and then you look at uh, uh, its neighbors. A lot of times, you look at the neighbor. Na- I, mean, I mean, you could do it on Google Maps. You know, you go to you look online, go to Google, Google Maps, and you know, you look at you can see the the line of the uh, uh the border, and you see one side, it's like just desert, totally desert. And you look at the Israel side, and it's just like lush and green, like whoa. Well, what they've done is they've applied this concept blessed of the Lord. And, you know, it's to see this in practice, even today, farmers in Israel, their exports of fruits to, you know, uh, other parts of the world. And you see these same farming practices today. But that's what you see. You go to Google Maps, you look at the, the picture, the satellite picture. You can do it on your phone, too. But you get an overhead picture and you can see one side is just like total desert and then the other side is like lush and green. Look at their farmlands. And so look what happens here. But that's what you see in Like this, when the land is improperly farmed. You know, it's not taken care of. Nutrients come out of the land and into the produce. But if that's not replenished, then the land just gets destroyed. It just becomes dirt. You know, and that's what you—it's so sad because you see, in a lot of the Western expansionism, and I'm not like you know, I'm not in, I'm not like, uh, you know, in the, I'm not into the modern social justice thing. You know, there's a lot of demonic aspects of that. If not, a large portion of that is demonic. A large, large portion of that is demonic. T- trying to capitalize on emotions. But, you can't deny history. And it's sad because you see these certain parts of the world where colonization came in and then all of a sudden the land was just ravished. All the nutrients just sucked out of the land. You know, oh yeah, let's plant this, plant this, plant this, export this, export this. Okay, the land's, you know, it's terrible now. Okay, we're out of here. On to the next whatever. And you see it. You see it happening. Today, I mean, uh, agriculturally speaking, you see it. But the Lord is preventing that with His people through His law. He's teaching them about this concept of Sabbath for the land. He says in verse 6, And the Sabbath produce. Now this translates as meat. The Sabbath meat. You say, what do you mean meat? What? Uh, Verse 22. Just fast forward to verse 22 really quick. This word for produce in verse 22 uh, uh, is fruit. Fruit in verse twenty two is fruit, but in verse six it translates as meat so it's, it, it, it 's almost like saying uh, um, you know like the, the, the byproduct of the of the, of the of the land the byproduct of that 's why it says the meat of the land it translates as like the byproduct of the land the the blessing of the land. And verse 6, says, and the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. Now, you read this and you're like, wait a second. I thought he said it's the Sabbath year and not to work. Well, the Lord's going to cover that in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says in verse 20, and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather our produce? So, we're going to cover that. The Lord's going to cover that for us. We're just going to study it. And so he says here in verse 6, And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, your male and your female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you. For, you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. You see, God's provision. God's provision. And it's through instruction. And not just through instruction, through obedience as well. A lot of times people think and pray for God's provision, which isn't bad. It's beautiful. They want God's provision. Lord, do this for me. Lord, I want this. Lord, if you do this for me, then I will, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Don't, you know, don't be that way with the Lord. If that's you, don't be that way with the Lord. You know, people have this concept of like, you know, Lord, do this for me now. But let me tell you something about God's provision. In very, very rare cases is it immediate. In the Word of God, very rare cases, God's provision is immediate. Very, very rare. A large majority, what's very common in the Word of God, is God's provision comes through instruction and obedience. That's what's more common. You must remember that. You must remember that. Because a lot of times people pray. And they base their belief on unanswered prayer. Or they base their non-belief on unanswered prayer. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. Because I prayed for this. And nothing ever happened. Whoa. Very, very, very. In the word of God. Where we see miracle upon miracle, healing upon healing. You see all kinds of, like, mind-blowing. I mean, a dead person comes to life again? Ezekiel, can these bones live? Lord, you know. A handkerchief? Paul's handkerchief? What? What? The woman bleeding for 12 years, healed of the Lord by touching the robe of Jesus. What? You see the rewards of faith, how God rewards faith? But don't forget that the woman that was healed, she bled for 12 years. Visiting expert doctors. Doctor upon doctor upon doctor. Failure upon failure upon failure. But her faith remained. I could just touch, touch his robe. And she was healed. And she's captured in Scripture. 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years, here we are blessed of her ministry. Blessed of her faith. Her faith as a ministry unto you, unto me. Provision is very rare, is it, immediate. Immediate. Very rare. But as what's most common as far as provision goes, it happens. And it's it's palpable. But it's through obedience to instruction. That's what you see here. When the Lord is giving this law of the Sabbath unto the land. Where he says, the Sabbath produce of the land shall be for you, for you, your, your, your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts that are, that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. Shall be for food. God's provision. But in order for this provision to, to, to be there, to actually be provided, people have to obey this instruction. The same thing applies to you and me. You read about the promises of the, Lord, of the Lord, the provision that the Lord has for you and me as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. And I have to admit, you know, there's a carnal aspect of this earth suit that I wear. And I like immediacy. You know, as a consumer, you know, speaking, you know, as a, a consumer in this world, I like immediacy. You know, I want a hamburger, go go to Burger King, you know, or not (laughs) go to Burger King. (laughs) My, My way right away, you know, get my Whopper. I don't eat Whoppers, but I mean, you know, I used to, but my way right away, you know, I want this, no pickles. No, I like pickles, but I'm just giving an example, you know, no ketchup, light on the mustard, light ice for my Coke, you know, or whatever it is. My way right away. Don't be that way with the Lord. Don't make the foolish mistake that I made. That's how how my conduct used to be. And when I didn't get what I wanted, I had a little fit. Because my little feelers were hurt. That was a little snowflake. A little tiny snowflake. And the Lord humbled me. He taught me. So don't be a little snowflake like I used to be. Learn and understand. You have the provision of the Lord. What do you mean I have the provision? Are you breathing? Is your heart beating? Well, you have the provision of the Lord. Well, there's more blessings, my friend. There's more blessings. And rather than desire the blessings, which is understandable. I I desire blessings too. Read His Word. Understand His Word. And apply His Word in your life. I tell you the truth from experience. The blessings will come. But there's kind of like an order of operations. Remember, we serve a God of order, not of disorder. In Him, there's no confusion. There's order. And so look what happens here in verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, for your, for yourself seven times seven years. And the time of the seven, seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee. Very interesting, the trumpet of the jubilee. Now, when we get into our study uh, in Revelation, we've already covered Revelation before. But when, when we circle back and cover Revelation again, we might touch on this concept of the trumpet of jubilee. Look what happens here. Prophetic implications here. In verse nine, then you shall ca- then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year. Very interesting because you know there's you know several months later from the day of atonement. You know after the day of atonement, you have this fiftieth year. What happens on this uh, 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 jubilee? Kind of. Mini symbolism of the 50th day, Pentecost. Remember, Pentecost means the 50th day. So it's like a little mini symbol. The 50th day is like a mini symbolism of this jubilee. And you shall consecrate in verse 10. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty, freedom, throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession. This is possession as land. Return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. You see, very important to understand these concepts and how the Lord desires His people to celebrate. To celebrate, to be joyous over liberty. Freedom. As Christians, as New Covenant believers, to rejoice in the freedoms that we have, you and me. We have an immense and abundance of freedoms that we have in Christ. Only this. Don't use your freedom in Christ as excuse, as license for sin. That's not good. Paul writes about that, which we're going to study. He says it to all the churches, but he says it hardcore in Romans. He says it hardcore elsewhere, but Romans, he hits it hard. Because it's very common for the Christian Oh yeah, I'm born again. Praise be to the Lord. Yes, praise be to the Lord. Don't forget, go and sin no more. Don't be a dog that goes back to the vomit. Don't recrucify Jesus Christ. You know, a side of me says, you know, I don't want to say that to scare you, but then another side of me says, I want to say it to scare you. In a good way, in a loving way. It's like Say I'm your older brother, okay, and you're like a little kid and you're playing, you know, the cliff is like 50 yards away and you're playing, you're just, you know, having a gay old time here on the, you know, uh, old English, you're having a gay old time here on this little plateau and it's beautiful. We're having fun. And then I say, don't get too close to the cliff because if you fall, you're going to fall and crack your head open. You're like, whoa, that's kind of scary. Well, I'm telling you that for a reason. I don't want you to die. Fall and crack your head open. So stay away from the cliff. So sometimes when I inject these, these, you know, scripture, these truths, which are very scary, I'm the first to admit there's some passages of scripture say, whoa, Lord, that is scary. It's good. Don't forget the fear of the Lord. It's healthy. The Lord doesn't want you or me to play near the cliff. So what does that mean? Stay near stay away from the cliff. So look what happens here in verse 10, at the end, each of you shall return to his possession. You know, this is possession as land, and each of you shall return to his family. And then we're going to get into this concept, probably not today, but later on in the chapter, maybe next week, Lord willing. That we're going to look at this concept of servitude, uh, being a servant, and bondservant, and even a slave. And how the Lord institutes this year of Jubilee. It's freedom. Look what happens here in eleven in verse eleven. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it, you shall neither sow nor sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your unattended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. And this is something that the Lord is going to cover in in you know in uh, verse twenty. We're going to cover this. It's kind of like in verse 6, you hear me say, like, or in verse uh, uh, um, uh, in verse 6, you know, we're going to cover that. Verse 20 says, and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Well, we're going to cover that. So, hold on, hold on. I, I say this, because like, sometimes, you know, I read a passage and I read a verse. It's like, wow, you know, I want to more, know more about that. And so, like, I look at all these verses and study all these things. So, sometimes, like, I'll read, like, like a, 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 a passage of a chapter But then it turns out being hours and hours and hours because of subsequent chapters in other books and subsequent books and other books. And it's like, okay, I get this, get this, get this, get this, and then you piece it all together. And it's like, wow, a 20 layer cake, you know, praise be to the Lord. And so in verse 13, in this year of Jubilee... Each of you shall return to his possession or land. When you hear possession, think of it as like land, you know. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything from your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. You see, there's any business owners or any capitalists listening. You read this verse. You have to exit the business mind, the the profit-centered mind. You know, I'm I'm not a communist either. I'm not a socialist. I deny all forms of socialism, 100%, because socialism is communism without a gun. That's all it is. But in the truth of God's holy word, there's a greater concept in the law, but there's a greater concept of loving others, loving others. It's to get out of your mind this profit-mindedness. And, you know, I say this, you know, to a certain degree, there's certain levels of capitalism that I really, really like. I like the concept of, you know, like if you ever been in New York City. Not New York City. New York City now is terrible. It's, it's it's not good. I know a lot of wealthy people that are saying, okay, we're packing up our bags. We're getting out of Dodge because New York City's not run very well. But if you went there in the, in the heyday, you know, like, yeah. I won't say a time frame, but, but, you know, you walk through the city streets and you see poor people, they're selling shirts, you know, selling hats, selling, you know, and then all of a sudden you see like you go into Wall Street, the financial district, and you see all the stock jocks. And It's like, wow, you know, they're selling, you know, major trade across the globe. All, all forms of capitalism, very low scale capitalism and, you know, high end capitalism. You get the crony side too, which isn't good. You know, I won't name brokerage houses, but you know, you, you see the, the cronyism too. Multi, multi, multi billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions. When you look at the conglomeration across the globe, the crazy, crazy days that we live in. And so I respect the concept of, you know, buying and selling. I respect that concept. Only this. Do it fairly. Do it fairly. Be kind to others. Don't, you know, treat treat everybody as you, as you want people to treat you. Do unto others as you want others to do unto you. Love God, love people. On these hang all, all, all the prophets, as our Lord teaches. You have to be God-minded, Christ-centered in your conduct. If you're a business person, be Christ-centered. You know, help the poor people. It's like, oh, I want to serve the rich people because I, I'm going to make more money. They're big spenders. It might be true. What happens if a poor person comes knocking on your door? Are you going to help him too? Are you going to help her too? A poor family? What about when you don't make money? You help a poor family. They say, thank you, thank you, thank you. How much can I pay you? How much can I say? I, I'm poor. I can't say, can I send you 20 bucks? No. No. I don't want your money. I just wanted to help you. That's it. Our paths crossed for such a time as this. You needed help. I helped you. You know what? We're good to go. Praise be to the Lord. Well, how much money are you going to get paid? Well, I don't like to have those conversations. But, you know, since you're asking legally, I have to disclose to you. Zero. No money. You see? You see? Be Christ centered in all your conduct. I mean, if you're a business guy, business gal, the Lord blesses that. When you honor Him, when you have a business that honors Him, the Lord honors that. And so, this is kind of like wild teaching what the Lord is giving to the people. I don't mean disrespectful to the Lord, I mean wild. Like, the wow factor is like through the roof. Like, what? He says, you shall not oppress one another at the end of verse 14. In actually, the entirety of the verse. If you sell anything from your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. Oppress here in the Hebrew is to maltreat, to do violence, and to destroy. You say, well, that's kind of hardcore. I'm just trying to do business. You mean I can destroy somebody by just trying to do business? <laughs> Look at what we see today. Crony capitalism. Look at what we see today. I'm just trying to do business, buying, sell, buying and selling. I can treat a person violently. I can maltreat another person. Look, I made a million dollars. I made $10 million. I made $50 million. Yeah, you score. I scored. I scored. But at what cost, my friend? At what cost? That's why I say a radical, radical concept that the Lord is teaching His People. I mean, you talk to business people, it's like, oh, yeah, I've got to make a profit, got to pull profit, put profit, 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 profit. And I get it. I understand it. it's business. It's the name of the game. But that's the game. That's the game. Where's Christ? Where's the Lord? If you're a Christian, I mean, if you're a business guy, and business gal, and you're worldly, you're in the world, you're not a Christian, you're listening. I don't know. You know, you might be listening like, you know, maybe you stumbled across this. If that's you, hit pause, repent, receive Jesus Christ, and then come back. But if you're listening, it's not a mistake. I know it's not a mistake. I'm, I'm all for, you know, make, you pull your profit, make your profit, honor the Lord and he will bless you. And when he blesses you, it's like, okay, now what? Well, you know, business minded, you know, you reinvest, there's reinvestment, you know, you have bills to pay, you got to do this, you know. Take care of your employees. Take care of, you know, whatever. Your family too. You know. It's like the blessing of the Lord. You see it. It's palpable. You see businessmen, businesswomen who are Christians. You have a conversation with their employees. And they're like, yeah, my boss is so cool. You know, this guy, you know, he does this. We go on these company picnics. We go out and do this. You know, I went golfing with the business guy, the, the owner. And when he took me out golfing... And look, he gave me his clubs. It's like, whoa, who does that? The Christian. The Christian business guy. The Christian business gal. I'm talking about owners. Executives. Don't be so profit-minded. Say, oh, I have to please the shareholders. Well, stay private then. (laughs) You know? stay private. Keep it private. Oh, I got to please the shareholder. Find a bank. Maybe you're not doing things right if you, if, you, if you have to answer the shareholders. And I say that as a shareholder too. <laughs> but you see, it's so beautiful because how do I say this? I don't know how to say this. And I, don't, I, I, I guess in one sense, I don't want to belabor the point. But in another sense, I do want to belabor the point. A lot of times people, they pray and they, 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 they place their faith in, in something that's impossible. And I'm not speaking of the Lord. I'm speaking of how the Lord responds to prayer. Lord, you know if you just I I I I owe the IRS five thousand ten thousand dollars, and Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I have faith that you will do it. And I know people that buy lottery tickets and they pray over the lottery tickets. Lord, you know this is all my grocery money, this is my rent money, and one of these tickets, Lord, I'm going to hit it big, and I'm going to be able to pay off my debt. I'm going to be able to honor you with my life. How are you going to be able to honor the Lord with your life? When you're, in, instead of trusting in him, you're trusting in the lottery ticket. You know, don't play the lottery. Oh, they go to casinos. And they're in the parking lot. You know, they'll fast for, you know, a couple of days before they go to the casino. Oh, Lord, you know what? I I got, you know, I got $10 from this lottery money. I got $100 from this lottery money. So I cashed out and I'm going to go to the casino, Lord. And Lord, I'm fasting and I Lord, I pray that you triple or quadruple this money. You know, you give the, give me a hundredfold. And they'll use Bible scripture. They'll use, you know, just as you give tenfold, Lord, give me tenfold financially with this dirty money. Oh, I've been fasting. What what in the world is happening here? And when that what happens when you lose it all? You know, someone lose it all. Oh, you know what? I guess he didn't answer my prayer, Lord. So I'm gonna go back to alcohol now. He didn't answer my prayer, Lord, so I'm gonna go back to crack. No, your God is your belly, if that's the case. Your God was your belly. Let that not be said of us, people of the way. But I can't tell you how many times I've come across people that believe that way. They place their faith on an impossible route. Don't do that. Be obedient. Apply God's word in your life. And you know what? You'll see the blessings. People will see it too. And the Lord is making a difference. Just as He did in Egypt. With His people in Goshen. Where there was light. No darkness. Darkness befell the land. Where was the light? With His people in Goshen. So look what happens here. I mean, you see this. that You shall not oppress one another. You know, you, you see an oppressive business guy, you talk to his employees, you talk to her employees, they hate their boss. I've talked to employees before, and they hate their boss. They can't stand their boss. And then I talk to the boss, you know, how did it go? How, how was your conversation? How, how, did, you, how did this ch- talk go? it was okay you know yeah we just talked we shot the breeze a little bit got the gist of this that and this but you know meanwhile you're not telling him you know I'm sorry to tell you this but your employee hates you he has revealed to me this she has revealed to me this about you you know people people make their choices in life don't be that way honor the lord in all your ways honor him in all your ways and you stay in the Word, and you read the Word, and when you realize the Holy Spirit will convict you, and when you realize you've been doing it wrong, you repent. Put your finger down, close your eyes, repent. And apply at that moment. Apply apply what the Lord taught you. Apply that in your life so that you don't make the mistake again. You're not a dog going back to the vomit. And then you open up your eyes and you keep reading. You know, You might have a little journal of passages in the Bible. That have like really hit you hard. Like, wow, Lord, this is, you know, wow, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. Wow, that hit me hardcore, Lord, and you write it down. You know, it's so beautiful. In the course of time, six months down the road, a year down the road, you're going to go back to your journal, read these verses, or maybe highlight it in your Bible, and you're going to realize, wow, Lord, you've helped me keep a covenant with my eyes. You've helped me. My friends wanted to go do crack. I'm not doing, I'm not joining them. My friends wanted to go to the strip club. I'm not, my friends wanted to go get drunk. And I'm not doing that, Lord. I don't even desire alcohol anymore. I don't desire crack. I don't desire the strip clubs. I don't desire the rock and roll, the sex, the drugs, whatever. And Lord, I used to be a tax cheat. I'm not doing that anymore. And not that you want any accolades. But you're rejoicing at the work of the Lord, and don't forget, our Father is also praising us for that. All praise to Him. But at the same time, there's reciprocity in praise. We studied that in Romans. You know, you're like a like a a, a dad in the stands. You know, you're out there on the field playing soccer, playing basketball, playing baseball, playing whatever, and you have you know pops in the stands. Oh, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's my girl. There's reciprocity to praise. Pleasing unto him. This is a very deep concept that the Lord is teaching the people through Moses. But they have to apply it in their lives. And so look what happens here. It's very interesting because don't forget... This is the same God that destroyed Egypt, the might of Egypt. This is the same God that parted the ocean. Look at the might of his hand. Look at what he can do. But then here he's taking a slow lesson. You guys need to learn this. Not to oppress one another. You guys need to learn this. And you're going to see the depths of these applied in people. You're going to see it not applied in people. You're going to see it misapplied. And you're going to see Israel all the way till we get to Malachi. You're going to see the ups and downs, the ups and downs. And when they go down, the Lord sends a prophet and they go up. Sometimes they go down deeper and he sends another prophet. And then they kill the prophet. And then the Lord sends another prophet and they kill him too. And then he sends his only son, and then they kill him. Then he sends messengers, and they kill them too. And then he sends you. A slave is not greater than his master. A slave is not greater than her master. Thus fulfilling what the Lord told us. The parable of the servants. The pair, you know, sends, you know the, the, the landowner sends, you know, servant number one, servant number two, servant number three. And then they, he says, oh, five, they're going to listen to his son. So, you know, the Lord sends his son. And they kill him. You see. Very valuable lesson that the Lord wants to. He, I mean, people have to choose. People have to choose, oh, you know, you get people in under this concept of false doctrine, you know they they're they they're, they're aligning themselves under false doctrine, and they say, "Oh God predestines this to happen, predestined that to happen, and he makes all he does all this and the, because he is sovereign, yes, he's sovereign, but within the confines of holy scripture, we are still to this day as back then presented with a choice. To acknowledge him before men or to deny him before men? It's a choice. And so, look what happens here. You say, "Oh, you, There's no choice. God made me do this. God made this guy do this. God made her do this. Well, if that's the case, what's the point of having a helper? Capital H. What's the point of the helper? To help you in what? To help you do what? I'm not trying to, you know, uh, stir an argument. But p- p- people believe in these fallacies. You have a choice to make. Remember how Paul would persuade. Paul would convince and persuade. Going into the synagogue, some Jews would believe, but you know who the majority of people were—the Greeks, the Greek-speaking Jews, or you know the the the, the Gentiles. You see, because he knew the scriptures and he would teach and expound upon the scriptures. And so all of a sudden, let's look what happens here in verse 15. In verse 14 it says, you shall not oppress the It's just buying and selling, not just buying and selling, but this is a radical, radical concept. And verse 15, according to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. You have this, you know, this worldly concept and the business concept of the customer. Customer is always right. The customer is always right. Does that apply in the truth of Holy Scripture? No way. God is right. His word is right. It's just a matter of me and you aligning with Scripture. You know, trust and obedience in Jesus Christ is required and the Word became flesh. I'm not advocating the law, but I am an advocate of the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. Notice all the accordings. Verse fifteen, according the beginning of verse fifteen, according the end of verse fifteen, according the beginning of verse sixteen, according the end of actually the the middle of verse sixteen, according the end of verse sixteen, according. Is he a god of order? No chaos, no confusion. In verse sixteen, according to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price, and according to the fe- to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. Wow, you think. You know, in terms of buying and selling, you think about fair market price. What about market variables, market dictates? It's all these conditions of certain market sectors. How you want to market, how to market, when to market, speed to market. At what cost, at what price, at what valuation, at what you know, hey, you, you want to appear to have fairness, but at the same time, you want to pull profit. I'm speaking worldly now. I speak as a man. <laughs> the Lord is teaching something entirely different. Entirely different. Fair market price goes out the door. Market conditions out the window. Valuations, market conditions projections, target markets, out the door, out the window. Remember verse 14. You shall not oppress one another. This is at the beginning. How beautiful this is. Wow, no oppression. The Lord doesn't want any oppression. Have you ever talked to employees who are oppressed? I have. That's terrible. I hate it. And you know, I'm I'm a capitalist, you know, to be honest, you know, I'm a capitalist. I like the like I said, the concept of buying and selling. You can take, you know, popsicles and sell popsicles and pull profit. You can do whatever and pull profit. You know whatever you wanna call that, not crony capitalism. But don't oppress. People who start their businesses and then they oppress their employees. They oppress their customers. I've been swindled before. Buy into a product and then all of a sudden, I was, we were broke at the time. Broke at the time. And I, I, I forgot the dollar amount, but I think it was like 600 bucks. I had to pay 600 bucks for this, whatever it was, some type of like, you know, career type of it was in Southern California. You see it was all, all over the place. I paid six hundred bucks. I go into the first class, and you see all these people. Everybody paid six hundred bucks. And then you know, day two, you go in, doors locked. You know, you peek your head in the glass, then the room is empty. Whoa. I got there early, then you start to see other cars pull in. People come up to the room. What? We were swindled the guy took our money and ran. Then you see people crying. That was my rent. That was my rent money. I needed that for groceries to pay for, you know, for my family. We, I needed that for my, you know, my rent, you know. But you see it. Look at the world today. Look at the world today. What do you see? Oppression. Oppression. And I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not, uh, you know, hardcore pro union. I, I understand the union, but I'm not overly hardcore pro union. You know, from a business standpoint. But I'm also not overly pro white collar, you know, to a certain degree. I'm pro blue collar, pro white collar. It's balance the two have to work in union together you know not a union that union against the white collar against the ownership but the ownership the white collar can't oppress the blue collar and the blue collar can't oppress the white collar through unions through labor laws we have labor laws in place for a reason but you look here in the bible verse 14 if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. You see? Very simple. One little verse. Now look at today. One little verse. It's all oh, you don't like. You know, I've talked to blue collar before. You don't like the union. Oh, that was a big old argument. No, I, I'm really not a fan of the union. Oh, that means you're pro of white collar. You're pro this. Not really. There's oppression on that end, too. What I am is pro-Bible. So if I were to gather a room of blue-collar and gather, you know, on the other, one side is blue-collar, the other side is white-collar, hey, everybody, repent. White, stop, stop oppressing the blue. Blue, stop oppressing the whites. You see? Repent. It's not good before the Lord. Receive Jesus Christ. Oh, what do you mean? I'm still oppressed. Well, in this life, Maybe you can get another job if you can. Maybe you're not marketable. Maybe you get another job. Maybe then there'll be a new owner who will change things. Not according to a contract, but according to this not being oppressive. Oh, that's you're crazy. That's impossible. I go to work. I'm still oppressed. We're in this world. You want paradise in this world, it's not going to happen, it's impossible. Paradise is paradise for a reason. And the only way to get there, you have to die. Above that, the only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. This is hardcore stuff, I meant buying and selling. I'm all for it, you know, business, I'm all for it. But there's rules. No oppression. Business owner, if you're listening and you're a business owner, no oppression. You know, you want to be a cheapskate and pay your employees under the table? You know, a lot of business owners, very wealthy, wealthy business owners, multi, multi multi-millionaires. But they hire the illegal immigrant because they like the cheap labor and they threaten their workers. You're going to work for this price. You're going to work at these hours. You're going to work like this. These are the conditions you're going to work in. And you know what? If you don't do it, I'm calling immigration. That's oppression. If that's you, you're listening, you're a business owner, you're listening, repent. Repent. It is not pleasing to the Lord. Honor Him with everything. Not just one aspect of your life. If if you want to honor the Lord with one aspect of your life, then don't call him Lord. You know why? Because he's not Lord, if that's the case. Because a real Lord is Lord of all. That's what you must give to Jesus Christ. As you get off the throne of your heart. The same way I got off the throne of my heart. Let's look what happens here. In verse sixteen, uh, you shall not uh, according to the fewer according to the fewer number of years you shall diminish its price, for he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. And verse seventeen: therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You see, now put say we're in a time machine. We go back in time, and we're in the camp of the Jews. And you hear this, it's like, does this mean to tell me that God is concerned with how I treat another person? Yes. Yes. He's very concerned with how you treat another person. Old Testament and New Testament, he's very concerned about how you treat another. Very concerned. So much so. Much so. That he makes statutes about it. So much so that his only begotten son says, Love God and love people. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Whoa. People? Love people? You see? He's very concerned. The people, Israel, if we were in a time machine, we go back in time and boom, here we are. The people that would be around us, the camp of Israel, slaves, former slaves in Egypt. They're freed from Egypt. Outside of Egypt, the Exodus has already happened. For us, studying the book of Exodus, it's history now. We're in Leviticus. We're almost done with Leviticus. The Exodus has already happened. But there's a different kind of bondage. Oh, I had chains when I was in Egypt. I had these chains. Look, you can see the scars on my ankles. You can see the scars on my wrists. Look, I had all these chains. It cut my skin here. And look at the scars from this, you know, years in bondage. And now I'm free. Praise be to the Lord. No, my friend, you're still trapped, you're still enslaved. What do you mean I'm still slaved? I don't have chains anymore. The chains are gone. Are they really? Are they really? Or are you a slave to sin? It's a long lesson that the Lord takes to teach Israel about sin. Through the law, He's teaching them about sin. And in the fulfillment of the law, He teaches us about grace. Grace. Still sin. But under the fulfillment of the law. I shouldn't even say under the fulfillment. In the fulfillment of the law. Remember Jesus Christ says, abide in me and I in you. I could stretch it further. You know, remember there's slaves in Egypt, but they're still slaves to sin even when they're out of Egypt. And I can stretch it further. But I won't. But I'll say this. If I were to gather all the listeners, if I were to, among all the listeners... If I were to gather the Bible teachers, the elders, and the pastors for you, I would stretch it further. But for this message, I'll just leave it at that. Remember, God is making a difference in Egypt. There was God's people and he was, there was light in Goshen. Never ever forget that there was light in Goshen. Here in Leviticus 25, He's still making a difference. Because, yes, the people are out of Egypt, but they're still a slave to sin. And when they have sin atoned for, if you have people here that are listening, you might have some that are listening to the letter of the law, but then you might have some that are listening to the spirit of the law. Impossible! How could they listen to the spirit of the law? Don't forget, Moses wrote of Jesus. He's one. Were there more? Joshua. Were there more? We'll find out. What about today? Is the Lord still in the business of making a difference between His people and those in Egypt? Yes. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. Uh, How can I say this? Say, for example you me and two other people we go to burger king or a hamburger joint i say burger king cuz uh, that's the first thing that came to my mind but say we go to a burger joint okay it's you and me and two other people okay and we're all christians we all we all go to the same church and You hear somebody talking, one of the two other people. So it's you and me, you know, we have this commonality, but then there's two other people. We all go to church, you know, we're Christians. And of these two people, the the strangers, so to speak, we observe them. One of them starts talking, says, oh yeah, you know, my wife, you know, my husband, whoever it is, I don't care about the sex. My wife or my husband, you know, this, that, starts bad mouthing, cursing. It's like, whoa. You're a Christian, like you know, you shouldn't talk that way, man. You shouldn't talk that way. I don't know what you said, girls. You know, shouldn't talk that way, girl. And then you see the other guy, the other stranger. So there's two strangers, so so to speak, you know. And you see the other guy. Yeah, you know, I'm having problems with this, but you know what? I pray for that person, I pray for this, I pray for that, and you hear no cussing from this guy, this girl, whoever it is. No cussing. But in the other guy, you see you hear the cussing. The cussing, expletive this, expletive that, expletive that. They talk about, oh, yeah, last night I went to the strip club. Last night I met with the girls. We did this. I don't know how ladies speak, but, you know, I met with the ladies. We did this. We got. I, I don't know how they speak, but you know what I mean. I'm not talking about sex. Sex is irrelevant here. I mean, um, male or female, that's that's irrelevant. And then the other guys keeps speaking, or the other gal keeps speaking, and it's like, wow, you know what? This is... Like wow, it's pleasing to be with this guy. It's pleasing to be with this girl. And then this other guy is like, man, you know what? I've I've talked to this guy. I've counseled him, this that, but he's still cussing like crazy. He talks about going to the strip club. She talks about going, you know, whatever the girls do, uh, you know, what you know, all this crazy stuff. It's like, man, you know, I love you, but that's not right. You know, it's not right to be this way. And the Lord, or you know, as a Christian, it's not right to be that way. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. Don't judge me, lest me judge. I'm out of here. And then all of a sudden they go and join with their other friends. You say, what's the point of this? Why did, why did you go through this big old spiel about sitting in a burger joint? Because I'm trying to teach you about how the Lord is still in the business. His business. Of making a difference between his people and Egypt. He's still doing it today. Look at Paul. Look at how Ananias was terrified of Paul. What, Lord? You, and Ananias and his intimacy with the Lord. Lord, what? You want me to take this guy and bring him here? Where I live? My house? Um, Lord, uh, I've heard that he's killing Christians, beating them up, having them imprisoned. And in this intimacy that Ananias is having, the Lord says, yes, but he's my vessel. I'm going to use him. Okay, Lord. Okay. You see, in Ananias' intimacy with the Lord, the Lord revealed to him to bring this Saul guy into his home and pray for him. Lay hands on him and pray for him. Ananias, terrified of Saul. Rightfully so. Terrified. Terrified. And in his terror. Obedient. In his terror. Obedience to the Lord. In his terror. Comforted by the Lord. Reassured by the Lord. And obedient. Now. Five years from that day. Imagine Ananias and Paul together. And these two beautiful men together were five years prior. Ananias terrified. Maybe even Paul terrified. Like, what in the world's happening? I can't even see what in the world's happening. Two men terrified. And then five years later, the beautiful, beautiful bond between these two men, the love between them, The Lord made a difference in Paul, dark to light, dark in the law, to light in Christ. The Lord today, my friend, is still in the business of making a difference with His people and all for His glory. His light inside of you inside of me inside of all who believe this is a very deep concept that the, this is like i mean if you're talking to a preschooler and a preschooler says yeah i want to be a, a neurosurgeon okay you're in preschool you got a long way to go but praise be to the lord okay that's like this very building blocks for like the path that the Lord is taking Israel so that they can learn this concept. And some grasp onto it so beautifully and wonderfully. Some attempt to grasp onto it. Some try to attempt to grasp onto the letter of it. But it must be held in the Spirit, such as Moses. Such as Joshua. Several more, which we'll see soon. The Lord is making a difference. Where is their Goshen? As the world gets darker and darker and darker and darker and darker, where is their Goshen? I pray it's in you. I pray it's in me. And I pray it stays with us. But certain things have to happen. Obedience. Just like we talked about God's provision and how in a large majority of cases, it happens through obedience to instruction. His instruction, the word of God. Let's look at what Paul, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See? That the man of God And, you know, woman of God. I feel kind of bad for my sisters too sometimes. Because a lot of this is, a lot of scripture is very male-centric. Sometimes, you know, men get on a high horse. Oh yeah, it's male-centric, male-centric. And then I like a little smirk. It's like, well, you know, who wants to tell this guy that we're the bride of Christ? (laughs) Who wants to tell this guy that we're virgins, you know? Uh, Female connotations. You know, in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Greek in Christ. But a lot of males get on a male high horse. Oh, yeah, we're, you know, everything is male-centric, you know. Everybody submits to us. I am the man. You got to submit. It's like, okay. Does this guy know who he is in Christ? Does this guy know the bridegroom is Christ? So to my sisters, I love you. You know, it's like the woman of God may be complete. When you read these verses, don't exclude yourself. Include yourself. You know, in a lot of ways, there's are there are eh, more complete women than complete men. A lot of men still have their you know thumbs in their mouth. You know, a lot of men, they're still wearing their diapers. They have their pacifiers and their you know binkies and bottles. I, I think it's beautiful for babies, but when I see it in male and like in adults I think it's disgusting. I'll be straight up, I think it's disgusting. In Christ, I think it's disgusting and I say it lovingly, it's disgusting. I don't like it. Now I, I can't force it upon anybody if somebody wants to be you know 20 years in Christ, 30 years in Christ and still being with the binky. it's not good. it's not safe. Detrimental to your walk It's detrimental to your family I don't like it And I I say Me me personally I think it's disgusting And I don't say that to hurt feelings But I'm just Saying my thoughts on it If that's you Cut it out Learn Grow Matriculate Mature in Christ Oh you hurt my feelings You said I'm disgusting Well Are you a baby? Yeah, I've been walking with the Lord and I don't understand the deep things. Okay, praise the Lord. Do you acknowledge it? Praise the Lord. Now, let's move on to perfection. Hold my hand. We'll do it together. Hold my hand. We'll do it together. Let's grow in Christ together. You see? I mean, there are certain aspects of my own behavior that I think are disgusting. You hear me talk about how problems I have is anger. You know, very severe problems with anger. That's a big thorn in my side. And I love that I have that thorn. You know, I hate, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I hate that it's there, but I also love that it's there. Why? Because it forces me to my knees. It forces me to my knees. Lord, I want to be a vessel of honor unto you. I don't want to bash this guy's face in. And even in saying that, the fact that I even uttered that, I'm disgusted at it. You see? So you say, oh, you're my feelings. You say, I'm a baby. I'm disgusting. Well, no. I'm telling you, I'm disgusting. There are aspects of my walk. It's like, that's disgusting. I don't like the fact that I got this big thorn in my side. But I also love it because it keeps me on my knees. Lord, I don't want to behave this way. I don't want, you know, an old lady to cut me off on the highway. And, you know, I've already murdered her in my heart. Because I want to be a vessel of honor to you, Lord. It's disgusting to me. It's disgusting behavior to me, Lord. Cleanse me. See, it keeps me on my knees. So, you know, if we're going to walk together, you know, that's just I don't want to make excuses and say that's my nature. But, you know, the Lord's not done with me yet. You know, there are certain things I might say, hey, that's not good. You know, you want to go to strip clubs? You want to be on the crack pipe? I'm going to call you on it and say, hey, cut it out. That's not good. It's dishonor unto the Lord. I think a lot of churches would be better served unto the Lord if pastors would teach such things. And say, oh, let's just love each other and let God fix. Well, what if God is using you as the tool to fix? Like He used Jeremiah. Like he used Amos, like he used James, like he used Paul, like he used beautiful, beautiful Chloe, like he used um, Eunice, you see, Lydia, beautiful, beautiful people, Zipporah, I love Zipporah, she's hardcore, you know, she's awesome. So for my sisters in Christ, it's like, be encouraged. Be of good cheer. A lot of beautiful, hardcore women in the Word of God that men can learn from, that I have learned from. It's like, whoa, how beautiful this is. So let's, in closing, we're not going to finish the chapter if you're wondering, like, wow, you know, we're not going to finish the chapter today. But in closing, I'll say this. In verse 17 he says therefore you shall not oppress one another but you shall fear your God for I am the Lord your God you see how the Lord is teaching he says this in verse 18 actually before we start off in the beginning of verse 18 go to the end of verse 18 and he says this you will dwell in the land in the land you will dwell in the land in safety And in verse 19, then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. Now you read that, you're like, whoa, I want that. I want that. I don't care where you are in your walk with Christ. Even if you're a non-believer, it's like, whoa, I want that. Let's read that again. The end of verse 18, you will dwell in the land in safety. Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. Then the land will yield its fruit. Who doesn't want that? And you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. Who in the world doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. Wow, how beautiful this is. Now let's go back to the beginning of verse 18. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them. Whoa. Nobody wants that. You shall observe which translates in the Hebrew as apply. You shall apply my statutes and keep my judgments which translates as guard and protect my judgments and perform them which translates as do them. Very simple. Number B, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. So what do we have here in verse 18? to hear to apply to do to protect and then what do you get fruit fruit a lot of people don't like this they like the end of verse 18 they like verse 19 they like you will dwell in the land say in safety oh yeah you'll be safe the land will yield its fruit oh yeah you'll have your fruit you're going to eat your fill. You're going to have nice full tummies. Your little bellies are going to be nice and full. A nice meal. The the, the land will yield its fruit. In the end of verse 19, you'll dwell there in safety. Everybody wants that. Who doesn't want that? Every parent wants that for their kids. Every grandparent wants that for their kids and grandkids. Everybody wants this. Safety. Fruit. And full bellies but the very beginning who wants this you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them to hear to apply to do to protect who wants that this is the law i'm speaking of the law too but as new covenant believers even non-believers, they read the Psalms and they're like, wow, I want that. How beautiful this is. Depending on which song they read. People cherry pick. You know, you see on coffee mugs a Bible verse. You, you go to like a, a non-believer's house and they're like, here, I got this coffee mug. Here, you can drink out of this When I thought you'd like it. And you read it. And it's like That's a Bible verse. I thought you're an atheist. What, what are you doing with this coffee cup? Uh, this my grandma got it for me. I thought you'd like it. Okay, cool. Do you know what it means, my friend? You see, oh, here we go. You're going to talk to me about Jesus again. Yeah, you know, why not? You know, I'll give you seeds. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I'm not going to give this guy pearls. I'm not going to give him pearls. That's for a later date. You know, I'm going to pray that one day I'll be able to give him pearls. That's in the back of my head. You know, we're having this little conversation, but in the back of my mind, Lord, maybe next week, next month, next year, next decade. One day, Lord, I want to give this guy pearls. But for now, I'll just give him seeds. So tell me, my friend. Do you know what this verse means? As I take a little sip of coffee like I'm doing right now for my throat. Tell me, my friend. Do you know what this Bible verse means? Fine. Go ahead and tell me. You know, I'm an atheist. You know, I'm an atheist. But yeah, go ahead. Hit me up. Okay. Well, it says this. But. Let me tell you what was happening in Israel at the time. And then you're done. It's like, whoa. You don't have to go into like a big old, you know, Bible study, big old sermon, you know. It's so cool. It's to plant seeds. And, you know, understand that you're a planter or you're a waterer. Waterer. You plant or you water. I'm not going to say waterer anymore. That's a hard one. You plant or you water. You see, sometimes you plant and, you know, you're not going to see the fruit on this side of eternity. Sometimes you're going to plant and somebody else is going to water. But it's always God who gives the increase and it's always God who gets the glory. What glory did the prophets get? You know, I esteem them beautifully. These are very beautiful men and women, you know, prophetesses. All the beautiful people. Philip's daughters, beautiful. I esteem them highly. But the multitude despise them. The multitude hate them. Some among the multitude killed them. See? It's like, wait a second. Where I thought you wanted me to have safety. Well, you're trying to apply paradise to this world. And there's this chasm between the two it's like oil and water you take a glass of water you you to pour some olive oil it's immiscible the oil will float to the top it's immiscible it's night and day it's the chasm nevertheless verse 20 and if you say what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather our in our produce? Very interesting, because the Lord says here in the very beginning of verse 20, And if you say, very interesting. Understand what's happening here. The Lord is answering their question before they ask. And it's something that the Lord knows they're going to ask. And what he's doing is he's giving a little spark plug. To what? Faith. Faith. You say, what do you mean? I don't get it. Well, look at verse 4. At the end of verse 4, You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Now, If we were to apply this from a religious perspective in the tradition of our forefathers, remember we're in our time machine. It's like, okay, stoically speaking, logically speaking, intellectually speaking, we're going to do it. Be very careful because that's religious. That's the behavior of the religious. Pious, yes. But it's still religion nonetheless which is very, very fertile soil for deception. You say, what do you mean? I'm, I'm religious. Am I, I'm religious because of my piety before the Lord. Well, when I say religion and tradition, you'd be very careful with that, because what happens with a love relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, let's put this in uh, bride and groom context. You're, you want to be religious? You want to be traditional with the bridegroom? Capital B with him? And your relationship with him? Oh, I'm a male. I'm a macho, man. You know, I, I don't think that way. Well, cut it out. Better get off that high horse and start thinking that way. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the bride, bride to be. Remember, in Christ, there's no male or female. There's no marriage. When we're in our glorified bodies, there's no more giving in marriage. No, it's not gonna be like, you know, a male angel marries a female angel and they have little baby angels. No, nothing like that at all. Biblically speaking, there's no more marriage. In our glorified bodies. So why do we have marriage on earth? Well, it's a shadow of the things to come. It's a holy institution to teach us. So if you're a Mr. Macho, get off that high horse and cut it out. Be a Christian. Don't be Mr. Macho. A lot of men, they're Mr. Macho. A lot of pastors, Mr. Macho. Macho's at the door. Machismo at the door. Cut it out. The Lord is saying here in verse 20, If you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather our produce? But then you look at verse 4, You shall neither sow your your field nor prune your your vineyard, vineyard. And the Lord is saying here in verse 20, he's answering their question before they even ask. And this requires faith. in order. You know what I love about this so much? You see Moses, when, you know, the, the, Israel, they have, uh, the exodus has happened. They're going, they're walking away and they're, you know, a big, long line of people. The big, all the congregation of Israel, and they're leaving Egypt. And they're like, wow, praise the Lord, we're free. And then they get to the water's edge, and then somebody shouts at it, Moses, Moses, Egypt is here. Look at the the chariots, they're there. Moses looks back, he sees the chariots, all the might of Israel. And he starts to pray to the Lord. Now you read that, you're like, wow, so beautiful, Moses is godly, man, he's praying. But you know how the Lord answers him? He says, Moses, why are you praying? (laughs) Moses, why are you praying? I told you to go here. Why did you stop? Why are you praying? And you look at it, and you're like, okay, there's a uh, 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 Lord, there's uh, the ocean is right here. But I can't go on. The, the ocean's here. I can't. I wonder if the Lord is saying, aha. Uh-huh. You can't. But I can. Moses, why are you praying? I told you to go. Why did you stop? Lord, there's ocean. There's water. I told you to go, Moses. But, but Lord, Moses, you see, I love passages like this because it reminds me of me when I question the Lord. Lord, how? Lord, there's water here. How can, look at my, Egypt is up there. My attackers, they're there. And the ocean's right here. Did I tell you to do? But Lord, what did I tell you to do? You see? What about you? You pray to the Lord? Lord, Egypt is there. What do I do? The ocean's here. I'm surrounded, Lord. What do I do? I, I can't go anywhere. Aha! Uh-huh. I put my little Hebrew dialect in there. Aha! (laughs) You're right. You're right. My son, my child, baby girl, you're right. You can't do it. But what is this ocean to me? What is Egypt to me? I can do it. What a beautiful lesson of faith. He does the same thing with Joshua. Battle after battle and they're winning. Israel's winning. Wow, praise be to the Lord. The glory of the Lord is with them. And then something happens in these battles that Israel has where they start to lose. They start to lose in the fight. And then Joshua goes to pray. To seek the face of the Lord. And I love it so much. You look at it like, "Wow, what a righteous man!" He's gonna go pray, and yes, it's beautiful. But I love the Lord, the Lord, Joshua. <laughs> why are you praying to me, Joshua? <laughs> why are you praying? He says, "Joshua, there's sin in the camp, Joshua. How how can you win these battles without me? You can't win these battles without me, Joshua." And how can I be with you when there's sin in the camp, Joshua? Why are you praying, Joshua? There's sin in the camp. And the Lord tells him, you have to take care of the sin. You have to deal with the sin. And then you win battles. Let me tell you something. If you're a believer and you're listening to my words, you expect to be victorious in battles. Get rid of the sin in your camp. Whether it's in your heart, whether it's in your home, wherever it is. Get rid of the sin in the camp. You know, oh yeah, there's sin in my camp. I'm so oppressed. We're losing all these battles. What's your daughter doing? Oh, she has her friends come over and she does her Ouija boards. Um, And there's no problem with that. You don't have issue with that. Oh no. no, no! I just love on her and let God take care of the rest. <laughs> you have no victory, my friend, because there's sin in the camp. You have this doorway into the occult, and the occult that's going to take your daughter away from you. You gotta fight. Pastors, elders, praying for their congregations, praying for their churches. I wonder if the Lord is pulling a Joshua with you. Why are you praying, Pastor? Why are you praying, Elder? Why are you praying, Shepherd? Why are you praying, Watchman? You say you're losing battles, and you are losing battles. You know why? Because there's sin in the camp. This guy's having sex with her. She's having sex with him. There's this going on over here. These guys are doing crack. These guys are doing alcohol. You have your tax cheats over here. Why are you praying to me, elder? Why are you praying to me, pastor? What's worse, you know about it. I mean, harken our study in Romans 1, the end of Romans 1. Those who approve, it's not good. Those who approve of such things. You read Romans 1. The end. I'm hearkening the end. But read it all in its entirety. You know, a a pastor hears of marriages failing. A pastor hears of kids getting doing drugs. Getting sucked into pornography, sexual lifestyles, daughters who become strippers. A pastor hears of it. Oh Lord, we're losing battles. We're losing battles. Let me tell you something. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder... You need to address sin in the camp. And you need to deal with the Aikens. Biblically, in love, you need to deal with the Aikens. As a shepherd. Now, if, if, if you're a pastor because you want to do good for the community, you know, go on hiatus and get your heart right with the Lord. And the Lord might tell you, once you're right with the Lord, the Lord might tell you, look, I never called you to that. I never never wanted you to do that. You're not equipped to do that. You are ill-equipped for this ministry. And so you choose a godly man. And you say, hey, you know, can you be pastor of this flock? Pray about it, but I can't do it. A lot of people do that. They say, oh, yeah, I want to do good for the community, so I'll be a pastor. It's not about that. The Lord is the one who establishes ministries. The Lord. Old Testament and New Testament is the Lord. That's what I love so much about these passages. In verse 20, And if you say, And how the Lord is like answering their question before they even ask. What does that say to their faith? What about What a huge spark plug to their faith. What about when it happens? What about the people? Say we're in a time machine. We go back in time. And we hear this, you know, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. And it's like, okay, we get this, okay, it's seventh, okay, fifth, seventh year. Okay, Jubilee, 70 times seven, or seven times seven, 49th year. Okay, we got this down. And then we fast forward. We get back in the time machine. We're not going to wait it out. We get back in the time machine and we go back and you hear the people, hmm, here we are in the seventh year. What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna eat? And because it's so fresh for us, we're like, oh man, the Lord knew back then what we were gonna ask, and he made a way for us. And what does that say for you and me today, as Christians, people of the new covenant? We learn we, we love him, we we abide in Christ, we love him, we learn to love him more, we learn to trust him more. We learn of him through his word, and then we learn to apply his word in our lives. And so look what happens here in verse 21. Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring, it, it will bring forth produce enough for three years. So he addressed year six. He says, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year. And it will bring forth produce enough for three years. So he addresses the year six, but then three more years. So year six, year seven, year eight, and year nine. In verse 22, and you shall sow in the eighth year. So, you know, what happened with year seven? Remember, year seven, no work. The the, the land, you know, the, the Sabbath of the land. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat the old produce until the ninth year. So in the sixth year, the Lord, the Lord's blessing is going to be enough for year seven, year eight, and year nine. And in verse 22, he says, on the eighth year, you're still going to eat the eat the old produce until the ninth year. Until its produce or its fruit comes in, you shall eat the old harvest. So during year eight, the fruit has to grow. You know, you little fruit. But then it has to grow to be lush again, you know, and edible again. I love this beautiful, beautiful passage, especially in terms of growing the faith of Israel at its infancy, growing the faith of Israel. These little spark plugs, little building blocks of faith, which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, which is a law into, unto itself, the law of faith. Which is a foreshadowing of a better covenant. Life in Christ. The law of faith. Sometimes you talk to people in the fold of Christ, Christians. I'll I'll say, you know, there's these concepts. You know, a lot of times people say, oh, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. And I'm not mocking His sovereignty, He is sovereign. So God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Oh, hold on, hold on. Is God sovereign? Yes, He's sovereign. Okay, how come you're not living like it? You tell me, you're the one who's telling me God is sovereign. And I believe He is. I'm not arguing with you about that. But you're the one that's telling me God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Okay, pause there for a moment, my friend. Male, female, I don't care. Live like it. Behave like He's sovereign. You're the one who's telling me He's sovereign? How come I don't see His sovereignty in your life? How come I don't see His sovereignty in your behavior? How come I don't see His sovereignty in your conduct? In your speech? In your taxes? In your, you know, uh, drinking habits? How come I don't see his sovereignty in your uh, marriage, in your kids? How come I don't see his sovereignty there? You're the one telling me he's sovereign. I'm not mocking his sovereignty. He is sovereign. But if you, my friend, acknowledge his sovereignty, then behave like it. Me personally, this is me personally. I don't mean to offend, but don't forget... If you're offended, it's a prophecy of the last days. Matthew 24. <laughs> you know, in the last days, many will be offended. I think it's I mean just I referenced it, so I'm gonna give you the verse exactly. I think it's eleven or ten. Matthew twenty four ten. And then many will be offended will betray one another and will hate one another. So if you tell me, hey, I'm offended, I'm offended. What? Well, fulfillment of prophecy, Matthew twenty four ten. I don't mean to offend in saying this. But whenever I hear God is sovereign, I'm not mocking His sovereignty. He is indeed sovereign. But I think that phraseology is used way too often As an excuse to not reason with Him. Remember, come let us reason together. It's a grand invitation from our Lord. Come and let us reason together. Why do you say it like that? Well, don't forget in verse 4 where the command was given. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Verse 4, the command was given. And what is so beautiful about verse 21 and verse 22, he explains how they're going to eat. He himself is reasoning with the people before he knows they're going to ask the question in, verse, in his sovereignty. In verse 20, and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? What shall we eat? Well, I, I can't sow, I can't gather, well, the produce is going to be there. What shall I do? I understand now, you know, this Sabbath, I understand it for me, my family, for all of us. It's wild. I love it. And it's foreign to me, but I love it because a day of rest. Wow, I love it. And now this concept of Sabbath for the land. Whoa. In verse 4, the command, you shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Lord, how is this accomplished? I mean, it. it if, if I was going to lean on the sovereignty of the Lord, which I do, but I'm not mocking His sovereignty. I say, you shall, you shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Okay, God is sovereign. Thus saith the Lord. I'm not going to do that. That's religion. Be very careful. Satan can twist your piety unto the Lord, which is beautiful unto the Lord. Your How you want to honor the Lord. Your desire to honor the Lord. But even that can be twisted. Oh, God is sovereign, so He does this, and so this is going to happen. He wills this, and so that's going to happen. Well, wait a second. Hold on. Don't forget to reason with Him. Don't forget to reason with the Lord. Oh, but Lord, what do I do? In the seventh year, I understand, Lord, the year of uh, the the year of the Sabbath on the land. And you don't want me to work. I'm not going to prune. I'm not going to sow. Lord, no offense, Lord, but how in the world am I going to eat? How am I going to feed my family let's read verse twenty one again then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years That's enough for so year six in the sixth year, so that it's cover year seven eight nine and in verse twenty two and you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old and eat old produce until the ninth year until its produce comes comes in. You shall eat of the old harvest. You see, God's provision. God's provision is understood better through reasoning with Him. You know, understand your place, too. I'm not saying, you know, get in an argument with Him. I'm just saying reason with Him. Be curious in the Word of God. Wow, Lord. You know, you hear me talk about, you know, sometimes I read a passage of, you know, like, One chapter, which blows up into, like, you think, um, 10-minute reading. I mean, maybe, I mean, if I were just to read straight through, it'd be like, you know, uh, less than a minute. You know, so you read a passage, a minute, it's like, okay, I got my chapter in. Don't do that. Pause. Reflect. Selah. And, you know, look at subsequent verses, subsequent chapters. Not subsequent, but, you know, other passages. Text, context, and co-text. Rightfully dividing the Word of God. Having a deeper understanding. You know what that's called? Reasoning with the Lord. Reasoning with Him. Through His Word. And He'll teach you. Spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit will teach you. He'll show you. He'll help you to understand these things. He is the Helper. Capital H. The Helper. He will help you through His Spirit. That's how He works. And how beautiful it is in application. When you guard these things, His truth in your heart. And you obey His Word. You apply His Word in your life. And for whatever aspect of the Sabbath is in your life, supernaturally speaking, not in accordance with the law. What is the command of blessings that the Lord is going to give in whatever year in accordance with what verse 21 teaches what type of blessing is going to be going to bestow upon you in fulfillment of his promises that's when you see a total complete ball game from religion, from tradition and relationship with your maker the one who formed you in your mother's womb. Sinew and bones. Little tiny peas for eyes. And he formed you. Your muscles. Your bones. And you come out of your mother's womb. You're a little baby. And you grow up. You learn to walk. And then there's a little spark plug. Of faith. Sometimes it happens when people are 50. 50. Sometimes it happens when people are 20, maybe 12, and maybe even 4, to those who have ears. (laughs) You see? It's this concept of the Lord, the creator of all things, desiring intimacy with you. I shudder at the thought of saying concept. Concept. From in one regard, it's a concept. But when you abide in that concept, whew, it's home. It's home. And you'll look more forward to paradise. That's relationship. Religion will never take you there. Let's look at verse in verse 23. Last verse, I promise. Verse 24 is the last verse, I promise. He says, The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Whoa. There are major prophetic implications here. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. Whoa. What's happening in Israel today? What happened in Israel in the 80s, in the 60s, in the 90s, early 2000s? What happened? Land for peace, land for peace. What is everybody talking about now? Land for peace, land for peace. And the Lord is saying, the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Whoa. So wait a second. The Lord is saying the land is his, but then he's also saying that he's a sojourner, the Lord? Yes. Very, very, very early teaching of paradise. Paradise. Hey, guys, this place isn't your home. Hey, Israel, this place isn't your home. Hey, beautiful, dear listeners. This place isn't your home. Don't grow roots here. It's... He's saying the land is his. But he's also saying we're sojourners. We're sojourners. That's a word I have problems with. Sojourners. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. Don't forget there's a new Jerusalem. A new Jerusalem. That's home. Look what happens here. In closing... And in all the land of your possession you shall grant redemption of the land. In the law there's buyback provisions. And we're going to study this hardcore next week. What the provisions that the Lord is giving as statutes to bless them. And this is in the law, but forward looking as new covenant believers to understand that these are the building blocks of faith. To tell the camp of Israel wait a second you guys, we're sojourners. There's paradise but then on top of that there's a new Jerusalem on top of that there's a Messiah he's coming and his name is Jesus Jesus in whom Moses writes about in whom we're studying through the writings of Moses today right here right now to those who have eyes to those who have ears understand these words because we're living in crazy 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 times and it might be at some point in time maybe today you're fishing for little minnows maybe tomorrow you'll be fishing for trout and then next week you'll be fishing for salmon and then the following month sturgeon but at some point in time The Lord might take you down a path where you're fishing whales, big, great white sharks, big behemoths of fish, but you're going to be firmly planted on the rock of salvation. Your arms, your back, your legs, you're going to be strong, you're going to be equipped and you're going to be wise, well equipped for the work of the ministry. So we're going to end our study here and pick up next week where we left off. God bless you guys. Love you guys.